Andre Segovia Show. Welcome to the Andre Segovia Show, everyone. I am your host, Andres Dionis Broker. In this episode, I'm going to conclude my discussion on rent control. I introduced it in the previous episode, which was a segment of Real Estate 101 talking about the rent stabilization ordinance. This is another episode in debunking real estate myths because there's a myth out there that says that rent control is actually good. And I have a couple of articles that I wanna highlight in respects to this that point to all signs say, let's do rent control. And obviously that's a claim that I'm gonna debunk in this episode. Fair warning, um, it might get heated. <laughs> and for those of you that are actually uh, are not well learned about this issue or actually support um, the intent of rent control, you might find this as a very political stance and I assure you it is not and I'll prove it with the facts. And per usual, every single article that I, um, I highlight in an episode, they are found on my show notes at my website, www.theandressegovia.com. You can find everything there in relation to this episode. So let's get to the myth that rent control is actually good. In fact, how about I borrow this headline from an article from citylab.com that was published February 5th, 2019, titled, How Affordability, Affordable Housing Can Improve the American Economy. Well, let's pause things right there real quick. There are so many expressions of rent control, and that's what the, the progressives love to do confuse you with all these beautiful words and expressions it's called rent control rent stabilization ordinance affordability housing subsidized housing low-income housing there's at least 12 different ways that they try to name things and it's just ridiculous and it means the same thing so this article is talking about how affordable housing can improve the american economy that title alone repulses me because that is vouching for rent control but I'm not going to rip the article apart just yet. Let's just uh, cover a couple of uh, these paragraphs that are in the introduction. And it says, housing is a big part of America's story of innovation, productivity, and economic growth. For much of the industrial 20th century, housing helped to drive the economy by stimulating demand. Building more housing, especially in the suburbs, stoked the demand for more cars, washing machines, and other durable goods from America's factories, creating good jobs for American workers and setting in motion a virtuous circle of, uh, of economic growth. But housing plays a different role in today's knowledge economy where innovation and growth stimulate the clustering of knowledge, talent, and ideas. As a growing chorus of economists point out, the problem today is not that we do not have enough housing, especially affordable housing, in the most expensive and productive locations that drive the economy. The economic consequences often mean unskilled workers are unable to access good jobs in these cities, which cost the economy a huge amount in lost productivity. 
I disagree with uh, some of what is being described here already, but uh, that's not what I'm going to be addressing. I'm not going to address demographics and geographics um, and high skilled, low skilled uh, labor that they're trying to mention here. Um, but the article is citing what is called a study by the Hamilton Project at the Brooks uh, Institution that documents the the dimensions of housing productivity today with that nexus where geographic and skilled labor and where that means and they're comparing different cities such as 60% of adults uh, between the ages of 25 and 34 in Boston have graduated from college compared to 20% less in Lakewood, uh, Florida and they're trying to make a correlation of all of this how like some people in some areas are are excelling at getting smarter uh, because they're achieving uh, different degrees and able to have access to better jobs where other places not so much there's multiple different factors as to how and why that can be so that's what I'm not going to dissect it here but if this is the kind of study that you're interested in discussing um, you can uh, again I'm linking these on my website www.deandressegovia.com so you can see the graphs and charts and the studies for yourself that's pointed out in this article so the study though is trying to conclude how governments can deal with the nexus of housing and productivity so the study was pointing out where land use restrictions which limit the supply of housing and innovation centers uh, put that on the front burner um, and argue that solving the problem requires developing new strategies to address housing affordability for blue-collar workers and disadvantaged groups so for inspiration the study looks outside the country looking at tokyo montreal vienna as examples of places that have excellent uh, housing uh, situations that benefited them in those senses. There's there's some truth to what they're pointing out, but also describe why not. Um, Tokyo, for example, has liberalized liberalized housing regulations significantly to develop more housing. It permitted much new housing at greater densities and heights, enabling to alleviate a once massive housing problem. Uh, Montreal has done something of the same. It's focused on development of low and mid-rise apartments instead of tall skyscrapers or single detached homes. It's far more affordable than Toronto or Vancouver cities that rank among the most the most expensive in the world. And in the case of Vienna, where supposedly it's redefined public housing and weighted that work for it, nearly 60% of the city's residents, including middle-class residents, not just those who are low-income, live in homes that are owned, built, or managed by the government. In addition, their rents are tied to both income and maintenance, which help ensure that the properties are kept in good shape. So here in America, we're obviously debating that. Uh, see, the increase... Uh, increasing housing supply is just one part of dealing with America's housing crisis and the economic problems along with it. This is a political as well as an economic imperative, as the study points out. Pressure is mounting on political leaders in superstar cities to address housing affordability through initiatives like expanded rent control or inclusionary zoning, which mandate that developers construct some proportion of affordable housing in return for greater densities. The study suggests the more efficacious route is to combine housing vouchers which give less advantaged residents income supplements to purchase more housing aka section 8 with efforts to increase housing supply ultimately the study makes the critical important point that there is no magic bullet solution to america's housing infected economic woes policies to increase supplies by developers and demand by less advantaged residents need to be seen as complementary strategies to be implemented all together 
Okay, so that's like a summary of that article. And I'm quickly gonna go over this next one, which is from cbsnews.com because it kind of follows into this. It And it's titled, this in relation to Los Angeles, how no-fault evictions are contributing to LA's homeless crisis. I'm only gonna read you the introduction because the thing is a Sally Sop story and I, I, I don't I don't agree with the article either, especially because I know what they're trying to spin here. Um, they're doing a documentary. CBS is called Priced Out LA's Hidden Homelessness, as they say. So this you can see for yourself and make your own conclusions. But this is how the article reads um, that when you sign a lease, when you finally found a place to move out, right? You're probably not thinking about the fact that in many American cities, the landlord can kick you out for no reason at all. It's called a no fault or no excuse evictions. In cities like Los Angeles, these things usually happen when a tenant is under a month-to-month lease agreement. Tenants can be ousted even when they didn't do anything to violate their lease, like falling behind on payments. There are a number of reasons why landlords would employ a no-fault eviction. They may want to evict current tenants to update and relist their unit at market rate and make a higher profit. Or if a building is sold, the new owners might want to renovate or develop, again raising rents when construction is done. So immediately it's vilifying the the landlords. You who I'm talking to that I'm encouraging you to get into real estate, these articles are meant to demean you. And for those of you that are are tenants, I'm sure you probably agree with that. Where it says no fault evictions are contributing to LA's homeless crisis. Let me be very clear. If you missed out on the last episode about rent control, the rent stabilization ordinance, and everything that goes into the protection of tenants and how little say landlords have on their own property. This article is nothing but smoke and mirrors to distract you and feel that you should support more initiatives of rent control or more government control of your units. That's why I have issues with these two articles. In the first place, saying that, oh, yeah, it's a good thing to have rent control. And the second one saying that, oh, my goodness, look what happened in these cities with these evil landlords trying to raise up their prices. With all the stopgap that the city has put in place and continues to put in place, tenants living in rent-controlled units can be evicted, yes, but benefit from stronger legal protections than those living in non-rent-controlled buildings. Los Angeles is a rent-controlled city that this article tries to make out like they're not, and somehow the landlords are just evicting left and right and throwing people onto the streets and making them homeless. A landlord planning to move into an apartment or offer to a family member can ask a current tenant to leave, yes. The only other common cause for eviction through, through California's Ellis Act, which allows land Landlords mass evict tenants when taking a property off the central market. So that could mean tearing the building down, for instance, and developing another one, whether it's like condos or whatever. So those are the cases that landlords can do mass evictions, but they're required to pay relocation fees to help tenants find and move into a new place. And the fees, get this, that per tenant, the fees that a landlord must pay can range anywhere from $8,000 to $20,000. There is one more aspect of this that I did not cover, and I'm going to mention it now because this is how ridiculous uh, rent control is under extreme circumstances. Say the landlord is ignoring or refuses to repair items required by the building inspector. Because when you're in a rent control place like Los Angeles, there's multiple departments that are involved. 
um, you have the, the the housing department, right? Um, then you have uh, one of those, like the housing community and investment department. That is not exactly the housing authority or the housing department, but they are all segments or branches of the same thing. Then there's the building and safety department. Look, the the inspectors from housing are not the inspectors from building. So if they go out there and say something, the the Department of Building and Safety Inspector with the power of the uh, the building code can go over there and say otherwise. Like the, the, the housing inspector can say this and not agree with the building code. And then the building code is like, no, you can't do it. You have to do it this way. And then the housing might disagree with that. And you know what? It falls on the burden of the landlord to figure that out. Because these two departments, even though they're both government and paid by your taxes, don't talk to each other. It's on you to figure out what the heck any of they mean and get them to somehow agree. And in some cases, it goes to a third party. There are tenants unions that have tenant attorneys on their side and they can get in the way and also say, I demand these other extra things to be done as well or my tenant will refuse to pay rent. I'm sorry, say what now? It's like, okay, so now there's three a different department stacked up against you in your rent control area under the extreme circumstances let's say that the that the landlord was not able to comply with some of the idiocy that's being asked for in some of these things because the housing inspector and the building inspector didn't agree the building can be taken over by the city under what is called the reap program reducing the tenants rents and using the amounts paid to rehabilitate the building. When REAP gets involved, that building's no longer yours. That's basically eminent domain. It's ridiculous. So this whole idea that landlords are nearly willy just kicking people out, they make it sound like, oh yeah, there's no cause eviction, no fault eviction. There is cause. And there's so many hurdles to go through when you have just cause. And as someone has been involved in evictions, I can tell you it's not as clear cut as that, as that article makes it out to be. And if you're a tenant listening to this, and you probably, well, I disagree with you, Andres, because I know you're siding with the landlords here, but I, as a tenant, can tell you, my landlord tried to strong arm me in this, in this deal. I take issues with anything that flies in the face of law. You both have an agreement. And in said agreement, the landlord in that agreement is the one that's in charge of that unit, not the tenant. You cannot, as a tenant... Just nilly-willy hang up a TV on a wall without letting that landlord know that you are going to hang up the TV on the wall. If the landlord says no, you can't do it. If you brought a friend over and he decides to stay more than two weeks and he's just staying there and he's using up your utilities that are being paid by the landlord and he noticed the uptick in utility usage, he can pass that bill on to you. And it's like, wait, what are you guys doing here? And it's like, oh yeah, my friend decided to stay with me and I let him move in. It's like, you can't do that without notifying the landlord. And if he disagrees, that guy's out. Now, let's just say you didn't notify the landlord and you brought someone else in to live with you and have them help you pay the rent too. And you make an agreement with that new tenant that they're paying you this much so you can cover your rent for the landlord. That is called subleasing. And if your landlord did not permit that, you're breaking the law. So if you didn't read that you have no rights to the landlord's unit as you think you do, then you're being misled as to what that means. Now, a good landlord wants to have good tenants. They don't want problem tenants. They want sustainability. It's looking at it like a customer, okay? 80% of my business comes from 20% of my customers. So if I have 10 customers, two of those customers are giving me more business than the other eight. 
I treat them all equally, but I treat those two more special than the rest. Because I know that if I go the extra mile for them, they are for sure going to continue to give me business. Whereas if I devote the same amount of energy to that other person, they might not come back to me. Because they are not loyal in that sense. They're probably still shopping around other places, even though they were satisfied with what I did. Where they're looking at you, this is this is my good tenant. I want to take care of my tenant. And a good landlord does that. But if you're going to be a problem tenant, challenging them left and right because you think you own the place and you don't because you're renting, that is where the ideologies clash. And this is very important because a lot of my people are being deceived by this as well because some of these teachers, uh, teachers, some of these unions are going out there to lie to my people. In some cases, that have immigrated here th- that do not have command of the language and understand uh, economic principles of the United States that is more capitalist uh, economic practice than other more social uh, socialist background countries that they might come from because a, a lot of Southern, Southern American countries are uh, socialist, then how can they grasp the understanding that, wait, this is not mine. It's the landlord's. That's why this series on rent control, I did it in Espanol too, because my people need to know. I need to reach as many people as I can to discuss the urgency of this topic because it's first and foremost at the forefront of everything in the real estate world right now, all across the country. And the battlegrounds are really being defined here in California. The scary part of what happened last year with Proposition 10 being proposed. The only reason they got so far ahead is because there was a lot of funding coming from some of the unions, the Teamsters as well, that teamed up with the tenants activists to ram this through and force it to a vote. And of course, they were, they were lying about it leading up to the election oh uh, keep uh, rents too damn high keep uh, keep housing affordable and all this well the thing is the the big lie and why some of the very backers of that initiative backed out at the last second was because rent control would have been installed on every single building unit home in the state of california regardless of whether it's rented or not. So if you, as a homeowner, living in your home, not rented to anybody, it's your mortgage, you're doing, rent control would have applied to you even though you're not renting out. And what does it mean by that? I already told you, housing inspections, building inspectors, they have rights to access your property without your permission? Wait, what? So then they're showing up at your door. It's like, hey, I'm here to knock at your door. It's like, what are you doing here? I'm from housing. I'm here to see your house. Why do you need to see my house? I'm not renting it to anybody. I live here. I own it. It's like, yeah, but I need to make sure that you're living according to our standards because we have rules. That is not only eminent domain. It is a complete subversion of our freedoms, our rights to properties, which is why I've mentioned before in other episodes. If you haven't heard my theme. I'm letting you know now. Our civil liberties come from our ability to own our property. So, Andres, this is all crazy. Uh, how, how do we address this affordability issue then? Rent control does a ton of harm. The demand for housing is right. When you put more supply to satisfy a demand, when supply supersedes demand, then the pricing has to go down or the supply is not moving. That's simple economics. It's like if if there's only one plate of food and 10 people want to buy that plate of food, that's going to be a bidding war. If there's 10 plates of food and only five people buying, the other five might go to waste. 
That's just what happens when you have more of a thing for people to enjoy. But when you're talking about creating more rental housing, you're not addressing the key issue as to why rental is an issue. I was trying to lease out just one unit in Santa Ana um, earlier in the winter. And I had over a thousand people come to look at one unit. That's insane. I, 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 that is insane. It's like, yeah, I was going to push the price up, but not everybody qualified anyway. So we didn't have to push the price up in that sense. But that's what I mean. It's crazy. That's how many people are starving for a place to live. And then when I look around, it's like, well, there's nothing being built here. There's no new homes being built. There's, there's no new uh, multifamily residentials being built because that is an issue of zoning. That is an issue of land use. So those are the things that need to fall in place. Absolutely. But here is the thing. The reason people are looking to rent is because they feel they cannot buy. Well, the prices keep going up, Andres, you know, and there's restrictions as to how, how banks can lend. That is true. But here is here then is the issue. If houses are getting more expensive to buy, how can we get them more affordable when there's more demand? I mean, there's, when there's more supply, right? When there's more supply of houses, the prices go down. And if rents right now are skyrocketing, where in some cases they superseded even mortgages, what does that tell you? There aren't enough houses to be bought. So if you can afford a rent that's akin to a mortgage, wouldn't you be better off just owning your own place? Having your own say-so, never fearing so-called no-fault evictions? Well, that's where my point goes, ladies and gentlemen. That all this emphasis on building affordable housing isn't addressing the bigger issue. Housing affordability as an issue needs to be addressed. And the only way we can address it is by increasing the supply of attainable property via purchase. If you cannot buy property, you cannot bring that price down. The more scarce there is, is, there is an inventory, the higher the prices go up when people try to buy them because it's a bidding war. And if those prices go up, they become the standard for which every other property after that becomes judged. So if prices start going down, then that means the future houses are priced lower because it's more, it's, it's, it's more of a buyer's market, as they call it. Uh, so if the buyers have more control through the purchase because they can afford better, Great, but if the sellers are holding all the cards, it's the fault of the government not letting us build because this goes to every single city in issuing permits, zoning issues. And right now, Gavin Newsom is trying to ram through and building affordable housing permits. They want those to be pushed through. It's like, well, that's not going to address the issue, is there? Because rent will go up. One way or another, rent goes up, even with rent control. Even though it's at a a glacier pace, rent still goes up. Does it not? Yes, it does. And the savvy landlord is going to find other ways to use the system against you as well. Because it's a rent cap, not a service cap. So there are ways to still increase the rent through uh, rent control properties. That's why the the progressives continue to try to find ways to cap it. So it's not a one-stop shop. Now, let's talk about the damages of rent control. I have uh, this article that I unfortunately I can't get I can't get through it because it's a it's, it's an awesome study about this as well, but the conclusions are this. Though rent control is sold as a policy that is intended to help the poor, it induced homelessness among the poor and lower uh, middle classes. It also increased the spoils of trade accruing to renters with the highest incomes. Their, their spoils increased from what, was, from what it was prior to rent control to what it is after rent control. 
The consequences of rent control are understood by economists from the left and the right. Given this rare consensus in economics, it is surprising that states like Oregon are on the verge of voluntarily wrecking their housing markets. This article, conclusion, is from How Rent Control Harms Those It Hopes to Help by, where is this guy's name? Hal Snar. Hal Snar is an assistant professor of economics as the, at the Westminster College in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is a great article that I recommend that you read. Um, this is from an organization, not a, a news uh, station. Um, and it, it has all these charts and graphs like other studies do to talk about it. And there was a Harvard study that I related to as well um, in my uh, previous Debunking Real Estate Myths episode where I was addressing um, the whole the whole idea that, that uh, buying a house is not a good investment. So uh, Mrs. Wire is the name. I hope I'm pronouncing it right from the Mrs. Institute of Austrian Ec- Economics, Freedom and Peace. I'll be again. These links are available on the show notes. Uh, but just to show you just how crazy things are getting um, here in, in California, Glendale is requiring landlords to pay relocation fees when hiking rents. Um, it's not rent control, but it's similar. This is uh, this is published February 15th on LA Curbed. And it's just crazy because Glendale is one of those that wanted to install um, rent control, but were kind of stonewalled when Prop 10 fell through. Uh, so it was Glendale, Inglewood. Inglewood, I think, finally achieved it. Pasadena's the next one. Uh, Long Beach is battling it out like crazy, locking out opposition from even entering the city council meetings, which is a public meeting. A public meeting. Don't let any other activist in that supports them, but not the ones that oppose them, because they're trying to run through. Uh, rent control in Long Beach and it's a shame especially when those that supposedly stood up against rent control got the money from some of these activists to then turn their back on him and backstab him it's just a very sad thing um, that's happening and Los Angeles uh, um, Board of Supervisors uh, they did a rent freeze for a temporary rent freeze for six months six months came and went so they extended it all the way to December because they want to make something permanent and they're introducing five different initiatives it's all the same thing they just call it different things as progressive loves to do and just label it this and label it that but they're trying to do rent control and it's only going to do more harm than good so here are the talking points of the truth of rent control what is just cause eviction and homeowner protection aka rent control it's bad for everybody cities such as santa monica san francisco new york and west hollywood have been under strict rent control since 1979 and yet they have the highest rent in the nation google it rent control cities have the highest homeless populations in the world Rent control will cost millions of dollars to execute, which will be paid by tenants and property owners forcing higher rent. Rent control causes housing shortages by forcing small property owners out of business and in turn displace tenants. What that is actually alluding to is when uh, there's so much regulation that needs to be complied with and the small business owner cannot keep up with it. The only ones that can do it and put up with it are those commercial um, um, property management companies. And that just makes things worse for everybody. 
Rent control harms lower to mid intercity income families by creating housing shortages, gentrifying them out of their communities. Property owners cannot afford upkeep of their properties due to strict rent control policies. This causes deterioration of neighborhoods. Good tenants leave the community and property values decline, which harms homeowners. Many owners foreclose or sell to developers. The developers then displace the renters. Rent control creates job loss as property owners are not able to afford to hire service providers. And the studies that I mentioned before, Harvard and Stanford both agree rent control does not work. So if anybody's coming by in whatever city that you are in, whether you're in California or outside, and they're asking you to sign a petition that would introduce rent control or housing affordability or a housing initiative to, to subsidize rent or whatever, just remember, protect your neighborhood. By, by telling them that it does more harm than good. There is not one city where it has worked. San Francisco, one of the most expensive proper cities and people can't afford to live there. And they have so much homeless. That's why that article about how, how affordable housing can help you, it hasn't helped anywhere it's been tried for the past 40 years. How much more of an experiment do you need? It's like the whole argument's like, oh, you know, um, Socialism spelled every time it's tried. Then someone comes along and says, well, they've never done it right. Uh, who didn't do it right? Last I checked, Venezuela did everything right. And you can't defend that. Look at what's going on with them. Oh, but look at China. Yeah, practicing capitalist economics with a communist government. And they run into their own issues. So they're hiding their great recession. And now we're at a great tariff war. You know, both countries. I'm entering economic policies. This is not politics, ladies and gentlemen. And that's not what I intended to get into on what is politics. I'm talking about the simple uh, mathematics of things, the economics of things. I've seen firsthand the destruction of rent control. And when I tell you that about 75% of the properties that I manage are in rent control and we keep our tenants happy, it's because we have the luxury of owning the construction company that does the maintenance there. So I can tell you that in those instances where there are certain economic advantages, but that's, that's a rare thing for a small business owner to be able to do that. So now let me ask you this, for those of you that actually support uh, rent control, how many of you can point to a rent control unit that you would be willing to live in? I'm waiting. Name me a place. I didn't think so. That does it for my rant on this debunking real estate myths things that rent control actually uh, helps people. It does much more harm than any good. And the fight only continues. So I'll keep updating you as to what initiatives this crazy state of ours is trying to uh, cram down our throat because now they're trying to skip the municipal levels and try to just do it all at the state level. There's only one law stopping this calamity from happening and that's costa hawkins which prop 10 tried to repeal last year the only law left to defend you the individual whether you're a tenant or a landlord or property manager all of you are affected just the same i'm talking to all of you just the same and as an extra effort i'm directing my comments at those of us in the industry that have fail to understand these things because they let their political opinion get in the way of reason. When you let emotions get in the way of the facts, 
you lose sight of what you're after. You are in position to service your client. Sometimes that means having to do the hard choices. So, oh, I want to keep him happy or whatever. The facts don't care about your opinion. Thank you, Ben Shapiro, for that line. The facts are the facts. Rent control does harm. You need to spread the word. You need to educate people on it. And if you don't fully understand it, you get educated on it and understand why it just doesn't work. And if you really want to see it in action, go walk down any streets of rent control areas in Los Angeles. If you're going to go to uh, Santa Monica, as cheating because everything's expensive there anyway. We're talking about the very people this is intending to help. Go to Los Angeles. Walk down those streets and then call me up and tell me, hey, Andres, I love it here. That does it for this episode of the Andres Segovia Show. Remember, you can follow me on any of the socials, Twitter, Instagram. Like and follow my Facebook page because there's a lot of exclusive content that I post on some, other, uh, um, on some of my other socials that all make their way to the hub that is Facebook. And of course, check out my uh, special segments that appear only on YouTube, especially with, uh, when it comes to tech. If you missed out some of my reviews, especially with, when, it, when it talks to BlackBerry, like, BlackBerry, what? BlackBerry? Yes, BlackBerry's around. They've never gone anywhere. You just stop paying attention. Um, but they're alive and kicking. So great stuff happening on that, uh, that front on YouTube. So uh, like, share, and subscribe there. Hit the bell to be notified. Not every episode of the podcast is posted there. The meat of the show is this show. And I also tease that uh, um, I, I'm developing a members-only area to this where I'll be um, off the record and off the cuff where I'm going to be letting you know my thoughts on just about anything. But it's a slow rollout, and it's by invite only at the moment. And I feel it's important because it's important topics that are not exactly related to real estate, but are important that you need to know about. But in some of those cases, uh, I feel that it needs to be for the members only. And I'll see you on the next episode.